0: The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Just before I I get into the message, I just want to uh, remind ourselves of um, a couple of things that are coming up, and uh, one of the things that we are looking forward to in two weeks, January the 22nd, is come to the core. This is uh, an opportunity for us to gather on an evening and to be... Equipped and instructed the book that the staff have been reading for the last several months is called "You are what you love it's um, it's a book by James Smith and it's really talking about the power the spiritual power of habits. He calls them he calls them liturgies and he tells us and teaches us that Without you realizing it, you and I have built into our lives a whole bunch of secular liturgies, little habits and practices, and God wants to renew us, and that's part of our discipleship, is us being renewed in our habits. So the staff, pastoral staff, are going to be teaching you that evening and uh, and commending this book. We're going to get more copies available, but uh, we commend that to you, and I hope you can join us that evening On January 22nd we also want to tell you more about uh, come to the table that um, pastor Doug has mentioned it already and uh, I want to encourage you to join us Uh, a week and a half away January the 18th we start to have the meals if you're new in our congregation maybe you've been checking us out online and now you're gonna start to show up and and be here in person you know what a great way to get connected I believe that God calls us in the New Testament to be committed, connected, contributing, and serving Christians. We are called to be those kinds of people, and one of the ways you can start to get connected is just have a meal. Join us for a meal on a Wednesday evening, and you'll get to know some people at your table. Maybe you want to invite someone completely outside of the church, a friend or neighbor. This is an opportunity for you to offer some hospitality, bring them and then if you're interested, following the meal, a very easy entrance, everybody's welcome. We'll find a table for you where you will be at a discussion group that can be studying what we're doing in our life path journey, the gospel of Matthew. So the sermon that is preached on the Sunday can be discussed and applied and talked through on the Wednesday. And that's what many of our life groups and other groups are doing as well through the week. But on Wednesday evening, you have an opportunity to join us and be part of it. And as Doug has mentioned as well, there's the, uh, the, the Matthew gospel that is being made available. There, there are more. I saw a whole pack of them at uh, the, the Welcome Center. And you're welcome to buy one for 10 bucks. And then you can take notes and you can talk to your group in discussion and share and uh, meditate on that further so well we're returning to the gospel of matthew and i want to just revisit how we unpacked it back in the fall when we started the gospel of matthew is really five discourses that is prefaced by a prologue of the birth of jesus chapters one to four and then the epilogue which is the the death and resurrection of christ uh, chapters 26 to 28. But in between those two, uh, introduction and conclusion, there are five sections. And we know that because the, uh, the, the author, Jesus, is, is quoted as saying five times, and when Jesus finished these sayings, when Jesus finished instructing, when Jesus finished saying this, and so on. Five times, and it's, it's a clue to us as the reader that Matthew, now as the writer, is moving on to the next section of the stories and the life of Jesus. And so he's moving on. That's the way we're studying this incredible book. And we've decided we're going to study it for about a year and a half, and we just finished The Kingdom values, the Sermon on the Mount this past fall. We're now into kingdom advancing. This winter, after Easter, we're going to look at kingdom opposition. Then in the summer, kingdom authority. Then in the fall, the Olivet Discourse is in there, kingdom coming. we we'll are talking about Christ talking about the future. And then finally, in the winter, the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we have this opportunity to be discipled by Jesus through the gospel of Matthew. And that's what we're inviting you into. There's a, an incredible uh, verse in uh, In Matthew 11, actually, the next section, it says, from the time of John the baptizer until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people have been seizing it. That has often caused a lot of confusion. What is it talking about? Well, it's simply Jesus saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I mean, you're on the winning side if you are a Christian because Jesus Christ has promised that his kingdom is coming. And in this season of life when we are already seeing that Christ, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, we live in the already but not yet time of church history and and salvation history, and we're having this opportunity to see Christ come. So we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. We're praying that. That there will be a culmination of time as we read about in my prayer in Revelation, when we see the final end will come. But folks, the, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is teaching us of a kingdom of God that is advancing, and we wanna be part of what he is doing. In the scriptures between chapters eight to 10, we see Jesus and his authority and power over everything. I just wanna give you an example. Uh, Over the defilement of leprosy, chapters eight, one to four. Over the paralysis, even when Jesus isn't present, he can heal someone from a distance. Over diseases, over his disciples and the people that say, I'm gonna follow you. Over the sea and making the sea calm. Over demons that have have, uh, warred against the kingdom of God over depravity, over social divisions, over dietary laws, over death, over the deaf, mutant, blind, spiritual harvest. I mean, over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at all the ways that Jesus has shown when he walked the earth, he had control, he had power, he had authority over all of these things to bring about his kingdom. And so what do we as readers in the 21st century do? We read this and we say, that's what Jesus is all about. what his kingdom is all about that's the side that I'm on when I sign up to be following Jesus now I want to say that authority is not a very popular subject in today's world authority is not a bad word and yet here we are in the scripture and over and over again Matthew uses the word authority of Jesus over and over again there's no greater power and authority and Jesus uses his power and authority for all that is good and godly and the problem is that on earth we've seen power and authority in the wrong hands and be used in the wrong way that's caused much suffering of humanity but Jesus only uses his power for what is actually restorative and healing and redemptive and so Authority is not a bad word. In fact, when we put these name tags on, we should put underneath the name tag, we should say under new management because we have decided if we've said we're Christian that Jesus Christ is now the one that we follow. He's the Lord, we say. He's the Lord of lords, king of kings. He's the great I am. He's the one that we can fully yield to and trust in because he's only good. He's only good. And every plan he has for your life is better than the plans that you might say are for your life. A woman by the name of Natasha Crane writes this, the greatest freedom we can ever have is when we build our lives on the good and the rightful authority of the Lord Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But you see, you need to hold to his teachings submit to his teaching. It's saying, I'm gonna let you be my rightful authority. Freedom doesn't come from placing ourselves in authority, picking and choosing like a buffet what we're gonna believe, what we're gonna do, how we're gonna live. That's not where freedom comes from. That's actually usurping the authority that Jesus already should have over your life. No, freedom comes because we have yielded to the one who knows us best and can set us free. So today, in the scripture that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be following through on four big ideas and then looking at the three miracles that Matthew chooses to put in the narrative of Christ's life after the Sermon on the Mount. What are the three miracle stories that Matthew decides to share? Incredible. And, and then I want to, just before that, I want to sh- share with you four big ideas that run throughout all of the Gospel of Matthew. So first of all, and I'm having a hard time figuring this out, but thank you. (laughs) It's better if I just don't touch that. Um, So some of the big ideas in the Gospel of Matthew. Number one, that Matthew shows us the kingdom advances on Christ's authority, okay? Secondly, and these all flow together, Christ's authority is reflected in his words and his works. You need need, need to hear that. And then thirdly, Jesus demonstrates through his word and his works, and it reveals his will and his priorities. What you see Jesus say and do reveals his priorities, his will. And then finally, Christ's priorities are for the healing, the restoration of everything that sin and Satan have robbed humanity of and stolen. And so, again, I say, this is authority subject, not a popular subject. In fact, someone said this. Someone said that submission to authority is really where the culture war begins in 21st century Canada. Submission to authority is where the culture war begins. That's the last thing. People are saying, no, no, no. You you can't. You don't have any rights on me. You you have no control over me. I am my own person. It's my life, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so the culture war begins in this place. It's a huge subject. Matthew is addressing it. It's so relevant. If we unpack the scripture, we need to then, at the end of this message, apply it and see how God takes us further in it. So let's talk through and walk through the next. Um, Section, the kingdom of God advances on Christ's authority. I'm going to share with you a whole bunch of scriptures. If you have your Bibles open, you can do that. Otherwise, I'll show you on the PowerPoint ahead uh, on the screen. Chapter 728 says, When Jesus finished saying these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Teaching, using words. It's the words and works of Jesus that matter. He had authority. And in chapter eight, verse eight, the centurion replied, "Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but say the word. Say the word." And I say to one, "Go, etc, come." Then uh, next week, we're going to be talking about this calming of the sea. They marvel at him, and they say, "What sort of man is this that even the winds and the way, winds and the sea obey? The obeying is the authority word. They obey him. Chapter 9, verse 8, when the crowd saw the healing of the paralytic, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men, to Jesus. Chapter 9, verse 28, Jesus heals two blind men and he says to them, do you believe that I'm able to? That's an authority question. Do you think I'm able to do this? Chapter 9, verse 37, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray for the Lord of the harvest. That's That's an authority word, lordship. Pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Chapter 10, and verse 1, And he called to him his 12 disciples. And what did he do? He gave them authority. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction and proclaim as they go. Verse 7, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is the kingdom of heaven all about? It's about this restoration, this healing that is going to come with Christ. And then what does it go all the way to the end? Third, last verse of the whole Matthew gospel. Jesus came to them and said to his disciples after his, uh, his resurrection, "...all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and I'm with you to the very end of the age. Authority is all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, the authority of Jesus. Let's move on to the next point. Christ's authority is reflected then in his word and in his works. Verse, chapter 7, verse 28, it says, the crowds were astonished at the words of Jesus because he taught as one who had authority his teaching, his words. Chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus heals the leper, and he he says, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said, words, he said, I will, I will you to be healed, be clean. And it was done, immediately it says. His leprosy was cleansed. You see, the words and the works of Jesus align to bring about the healing of the will of God. This is what happens in the life and ministry of Jesus. In the same way, verse 8, the centurion's servant was paralyzed. The man said to Jesus, because he knew who Jesus was, though he was a Gentile, not a Jew, he just said, just say the word. That's how much faith he had. And the response is in verse 13, Jesus says, go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And Matthew says, the servant was healed at that very moment at the moment jesus said the word the words and the works of jesus align to bring about the will of jesus which is the healing in this in this situation can you imagine the centurion can you imagine that roman soldier getting back home to where his servant was paralyzed in bed in pain and he's comparing notes and he's saying to the other servants maybe, w- w- what was the hour? When did, he, when did he get healed? When was he okay? And they described to him the hour, the day, or the moment. And guess what? He's going to think, that's exactly when Jesus said, it's done. You know, I had story after story of my grandma and my grandpa, Jank, in Germany during the Second World War. And my brother and I are working together on trying to bring together some of this family stories and history. And my grandpa and my dad, my dad was old enough to be off to war. By the end of the war, he was conscripted by the German army. But my grandma and the three younger siblings were all at home, and they had to flee from the Russians. They had to flee. They, had, they'd been, they were all over the place. At the end of the war, my grandma asked my dad and my grandpa times when they were under threat, times when they were being almost killed and so on. And my grandma had in her journal the day and the hour because she just felt the presence of God to pray for them. I think that's what happened here. It says, immediately they were healed. You see, the words and the works of Jesus, the deeds, the actions of Jesus, align to bring about the way he's got all authority. He can do what he wants. That's what is being taught here. Once again, uh, we'll look next week at Jesus rebuking the wind and the waves. You could try doing that someday. Just stand out on a boat in the middle of the storm and just rebuke those wind and waves. See how it goes for you. But Jesus, can you imagine being in that boat? Just calm flat immediately. This is what Jesus' authority is all about. This is what the kingdom of God is all about, is whatever Jesus wants He's going to get. It goes on in this next point, and that is that His word and His works reveal His will and His priorities. The very words that he uses in his conversation with the leper have to do with what he wills. The man says to Jesus in verse 2, if you will, you can make me clean. In other words, if you really want to, I know you can do this. The word is dunamis, the ability, power, dynamite, where we get that from. If you will it, you have the power to do it. That's what he's saying. And Jesus just responds with one word, I will. I will it. I do want to do that. And guess what? I have the power to do it, so be healed. And he was done. The leper, all that infectious disease on his skin was absolutely wiped away with the word of Jesus because it was his will to do so. He willed it. He had the ability to do it. Same with the servant of the centurion and Peter's mother-in-law. These three stories, it reveals the heart, the essence of the kingdom, Everything that had gone wrong, Jesus is going to make right. This is why he walked the earth and did these things. And we don't see it fully realized on earth right now, but it shows the kingdom active and at work when Jesus walked the earth. Paul also reminds us that we have this opportunity to have our will transformed and have the ability to obey God in His will. He says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling," Philippians 2:12. Why can we do that? How can we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? For it is God who is at work in you to do two things, both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. You see, I knew I need, sometimes in my Christian life, I need a new wanter. I need to want what He wants. I need my will renewed, both to will and to do. So he'll give you the new will. You can say to God, God, I'm willing to be made willing. And then you can get the power from God to do the very will of God that he's called you to do. Whatever frontal attack you are facing by the enemy or by the flesh or the world around you. And so Jesus teaches by example in this, but... Here, here we see his will, his words and his works revealing his will and his priority. And the fourth point I want to make <laughs> before we look more at these three miracles is that his, his priorities reveal uh, the healing and restoration of all that sin and Satan had taken. And, and that's the outworking of his will. These three people that are described in these three miracles all had physical problems that, that harmed them. Harmed them physically, socially, mentally, and spiritually. And we need to acknowledge, and I I hope you're able to see this, we need to acknowledge that when Jesus walked the earth and when the apostles walked the earth with the authority of Jesus, not everybody that they saw or met was healed. There were hundreds and hundreds of people in every village that Jesus visited that were not healed. The the very stories that are included in the Gospels are to reveal the essence, the trajectory, the heart of the kingdom of God, of what Jesus is about, ultimately. Matthew includes these to show us. And like I said earlier, in this church age, we, we live between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. In the already that he's come, the kingdom of God has come with the king. But the not yet, he's not yet come re- to return and bring his kingdom into full culmination. And we live between, this is the church age, we live in this age when we can pray and sometimes when we, maybe when we anoint with oil and we pray over someone who is sick and they are healed, like Kevin talked about, and then other times we do the same thing and they're not healed, that's because we just don't know the complete will of God. God. You know, this, and and one day we know that these things will all be healed. One day we know that, that God's gonna bring his full kingdom in and it's gonna be done. But right now we're living in this in between already and not yet. It's far too simple, friends. It's far too simple to say to the sick person, you don't have enough faith or there must be sin in your life. Uh -uh. You don't want to lock somebody up with chains that God has not put on them. It's too simple. It doesn't match reality. I don't know why some people die early. I don't know why some people get sick and God doesn't heal them. One thing we know from Scripture and from experience is that in the redemption that Jesus Christ purchased at the cross by his blood for your forgiveness and for your eternal life is not included a guaranteed promise that you'll never suffer from cancer, never get diseased, never have an early death. That's not God's promise to you, sorry. is not found in the redemptive promises of Jesus Christ for you. But he has promised to never, never leave you nor forsake you, He has promised to walk through the valleys with you. He has promised to bring you to his eternal kingdom, forgiven and cleansed and ready to meet the Lord. He has promised so much. But folks, don't put on him things that he has not promised because one day you'll look back and say, I needed that. I didn't realize it on earth, but I needed that. far too big of a subject for us to cover very well this morning but let's move on let's move on and talk about these three miracles of healing you might be surprised you might be surprised to hear that in the first century when Jesus was around that the average male Jewish man prayed like this every morning he said Lord I thank thee That I was not born a slave, but a free man. That I was not born a Gentile, but a Jew. And that I was not born a woman, but a man. In some ways, these first three miracles, chosen by Matthew, reveal how Jesus felt about slaves and Gentiles and women, as well as lepers and social outcasts. Paul confronts the wrong thinking in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 when he writes this, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I hope you hear the essence of the kingdom. Regardless of whatever male Jews were praying in the first century, and believe me, they did not get it from the Old Testament, you need to know that Jesus was a liberator of socially outcast lepers, of servants and slaves, of women and of Gentiles. Jesus was a liberator, and the apostle Paul got the message, and he preached it well. And so as we look at these three, let's start with the first one, the untouchable leper, And I want to talk about the healing that comes because of Christ's kingdom for the alienated and the outcast. This leper had various needs. He didn't just have the physical need of healing from this terrible disease, this infectious skin disease. Paul Brand, the doctor, writes a book and talks about having worked among leprous communities for several years. That the disease of leprosy wasn't just the disease that was the worst problem. It was that it actually didn't allow the the leper to feel all the feelings of your fingers and toes, the extremities of your body were were so dulled that you could touch a hot iron and burn yourself. You could step on a, a, a nail or something and not even feel it. And so lepers often harmed themselves so much repeatedly that that was the worst part of it. This man, this leper had the physical need of his of jesus to touch him and heal him but he also had the social need of being restored to the community that he had been exiled from and after jesus heals him he tells him to go show himself to the priest why because he had to get the official stamp of reintroduction into the community Jesus saw the entire man. He not only had the spiritual need of meeting Jesus, the physical need of having the leprosy taken care of, but the social need of being restored to his very family and community. And these are the priorities that the kingdom comes with. We ought to be on that side, folks. We ought to be all for spiritual, physical, social healing, being part of the solution, whatever that looks like today in our praying, in our helping, in our serving, in our giving. That's what it's about. Secondly, this invisible servant I call the person because the centurion is the one who talks about him. And in the interaction with this soldier, uh, Matthew puts more space on that story than the other two in his storytelling. And Jesus was clearly impressed with this man's faith. In fact, there are some apocrypha writings. These are... These are the hidden writings that were accompanied around the time of the New Testament. They describe what some of the Jews believed, but they're not canonical; they're not authoritative scripture. But they describe social and historical background. And in one of these letters that was written around then, it talks about how the Jews believed that the heavenly feast would be attended by only Jews and not by Gentiles. Now that completely runs against the grain of what the abrahamic covenant was all about that when in genesis chapter 12 when when god talks to Abraham, he says all nations all ethnos all peoples all gentile peoples will be blessed through you the jewish people often didn't get that so they had this idea that the that heaven was all about this jewish fest not taught in the bible and yet, here is this man in verses 10 to 12, and Jesus says some incredible things. He says, In all of Israel so far, I have not found faith like this centurion, this pagan Gentile. In fact, he goes further. He says that some of the sons of Abraham will be cast out, and room at the table will be made for these Gentiles. That was an affront to the religious leaders that heard these stories. Jesus acknowledges the reality of a real heaven and a real hell and the need for faith in him. No religious pedigree, no religious performance is gonna do it, it's only because of the grace of Jesus Christ that anybody is gonna be there. And the third story, this incredible little one sentence of the healing of the ignored and taken for granted, this mother-in-law of Peter in this triad, this is the most incidental, hardly mentioned. In fact, you wonder if even the people that were walking into Peter's home, where his mother perhaps was in a back room laying sick with a fever, if they were even concerned about her. Because we read later on that in verse 16, so many people crowded the house that were being healed and yet, Jesus, Jesus saw her. Jesus thought of her. She was not going to be overlooked. Can you imagine if that would have happened? Can you imagine if Jesus would have been in the front room and all lined up outside were all these people that were being brought to be cared for and healed and helped by Jesus? But in the back room is Peter's mother in law dying of a fever. That would have been awful. But in that time, many women were overlooked. Status of women, first century was awful. Jesus said, "There's no way He heals this mother-in-law who gets up right away and starts to serve all the guests that are found in verse 16 of this text." And so these three miracles form a triad of demonstrating the priorities of the kingdom. To remove the barriers created by physical health, infirmities, social status and race and gender. And anyone at any time that feels disadvantaged for these reasons can know that Jesus is on your side. He is for you. He is with you. He stands for the kingdom community. And he wants you and I to stand up for that stuff too. To destroy all the walls that, that humanity has built up based on sin and Satan have built up based on these divisions. He wants us to destroy them. You in your small corner and I in mine. What does it look like for us? I want us to take a look at some next steps before we conclude the message. And, and I just want to know, what, what, how do you respond to this message? And I think that one of the fundamental things that that needs to be looked at as we respond to the entire passage of scripture that's coming up in the next few months. Is this how do we respond to authority? What would it be like for you to take an authority inventory of your entire life, starting with your childhood, and going up and into your marriage and family life, and your school and your society, and a team, a workplace, a church. You see, your maturity, your advancing in the kingdom and in the faith, is going to be directly proportionate to your ability to respect the authorities that God puts in your life, and your ability to say, "I'm going to submit to Jesus." And if Jesus puts that person over me for some reason in that context, I'm going to trust Him. So maybe that's one way to respond: is do an inventory. Do you see authority figures as people placed in your life by God? And has the Spirit of God indeed, possibly even this morning, put his finger on some area of your life that you're wrestling with? May God bless us, amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, to you be all praise, to you be all glory, to you be all honor. You have all authority and we thank you, Lord, for how you see us, how you save us, and how you heal us, and you've healed us in the most crucial ways we ever, ever could need, and that is that you've made a way for us to have relationship with our holy God. And we thank you for that, and we thank you for also how you see us in our circumstances, and how you see us and heal us in ways that we don't even know. Thank you for carrying us, Lord. We thank you for your love, and for your sovereignty, and for your grace. Please bless each one as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.